0: hi everybody welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast this episode celebrating little Mo we celebrate The life and career of tennis champion Maureen Connolly Brinker. This episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast is presented by the Hampton Inn Waco. We invite you to visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, and when you do, book your stay at the Hampton Inn Waco. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Hampton Inn Waco, I'm Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money. Few players have dominated the tennis court, like Maureen Connolly, affectionately known as Little Mo. Her story combines a tale of triumph and tragedy. A young championship career ended by a devastating horse riding accident and a life cut short by cancer. Her life also composes a narrative of excellence on the court and grace beyond the game. Her presence is still felt in the annals of tennis history and in the lives of junior tennis players throughout the world. We'll speak to her daughter, Cindy Brinker Simmons, who played tennis at the University of Virginia and is president of the Marine Connolly Brinker Tennis Foundation. We'll also hear, Here from longtime executive director of the Texas Section of the United States Tennis Association, Ken McAllister. In 1953, Maureen Connolly became only the second tennis player in history to win all four Grand Slam tournaments in a single year, a feat referred to as the Calendar Grand Slam. Only five players in tennis history have accomplished the feat, and Connolly is one of three women. The Calendar Grand Slam doesn't sum up Marie Connolly's accomplishments. She won the U.S. Open at 16 years old and held the record as the youngest winner ever until 1979. Connolly won the U.S. Open three times in a row from 1951 through 1953 and won Wimbledon three times in a row from 1952 through 1954. And listen to this. It took over 20 years to break her record as the youngest player to win the U.S. Open. It also took over 20 years for any player to win three straight U.S. Opens. And only Billie Jean King, Martina Navratilova, and Steffi Graf have won three straight Wimbledon titles since. Connolly won nine Grand Slam singles titles before a tragic horse riding accident ended her career in 1954. She died of cancer just a few years later in 1969. Her impact on the game continues to this day. She co-founded the Maureen Connolly Brinker Tennis Foundation with her friend Nancy Jeffett. The foundation has helped spawn the careers of many successful college and pro tennis players, a list far too long to name. Suffice it to say that the 2020 Australian Open Finals featured former Little Mo champions in both brackets. Women's champion Sophia Kennan and men's runner-up Dominic Team. The United States Post Office recognized Marie Connolly Brinker's legacy and issued the Little Mo Forever postage stamp in 2019. That same year, she was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You can learn more about Maureen Connolly Brinker's induction into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame on the 2019 induction episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Maureen Connolly grew up in San Diego. Her daughter, Cindy, tells us how she got started in tennis at a young age and found an immediate passion for the game.
1: There were some tennis courts literally down some houses from where she lived at the end of the corner, and she just happened to walk by the tennis court one day and just realized that's a sport that she wanted to participate in. And so she shagged balls for the local pro at the tennis court during his lesson, she'd pick up the balls in return for free tennis lessons because mom was being raised by a single mother at the time. So finances were
0: very tight. Maureen's involvement in the sport remained unknown for months to her grandmother, who didn't find out about her playing tennis until her grandmother was asked to purchase a tennis racket for little Mo. But within a few years, the entire world would know Maureen Connolly not only played tennis, She dominated the sport on the grandest of stages. One of the first people to learn of Connolly's determination to attain greatness was British tennis star Mary Hardwick Hare.
1: She had heard about mom and had been asked to watch this little 10-year-old. And mom, after hitting the ball with Mary Hare, said to Mary, when Mary asked her, do you want to continue playing this sport? Mom very rapidly said, yes, Mr. Chair, yes, Mrs. hair And one day, I want to be the best tennis player in the world. Now, that's a pretty bold statement to make from a 10-year-old. What Mary saw is that Mom had the ability. But what Mary didn't know is Mom had the tenacity and the perseverance and the drive and the discipline to take that dream and make it happen.
0: So there's young Maureen Connolly growing up in San Diego, saying she wanted to be the best tennis player in the world. Turns out she grew up in the same neighborhood where another famous athlete lived, who once said he wanted to grow up to be the best at hitting a different kind of ball.
1: She lived a block away from Ted Williams, the famous baseball player. So it's always been quipped, what was it in the water in those blocks that birthed Ted Williams' And little Mo,
0: It wasn't long before Connolly's ability to play exceeded what the local tennis pro could teach her. He recommended that Connolly work with an elite coach. Connolly then fell under the tutelage of Eleanor Tennant, nicknamed Teach. Tennant also worked with tennis stars Alice Marble and Pauline Betts, who each won five Grand Slam tournaments. Your
1: first coach was a fellow named Wilbur Folsom. And he's the gentleman that saw Mom's talent. And what I so respect about him is he took her as far as he could, but then realized that he was limited in his capability then to move her forward. So he recommended that she meet with Eleanor Teach Tennant. They called her Teach, Eleanor Tennant. So basically, Wilbur Folsom handed off Mom to Teach Tennet, which I thought was very selfless. And that has always made me so respect Wilbur, because if he had kept her... Close to his vest, or had been very proprietary over her, I'm not so sure that mom would have developed into the champion that
0: she was. Tennis fans in San Diego at the time were fortunate enough to witness the adolescent phenom before she became a champion. Area tennis fans and writers quickly realized that Connolly was something special. It was during that time that she picked up the nickname Little Mo. Cindy Brinker Simmons tells us the story behind her mother's nickname.
1: His name was Nelson Fisher. He was a big sports writer for the San Diego Union-Tribune. And his beat was horseback racing and tennis. He was so impressed. He compared her to the battleship USS Missouri. And he said that her game rendered her opponents shell-shocked, like the USS Missouri. And... The USS Missouri's nickname was Big Mo or Mighty Mo. So Nelson, because of Mom's short stature by four, dubbed her Little Mo after the battleship Missouri, and I think it is such a great nickname.
0: Little Mo launched an assault on the tennis circuit and won the USTA Under 18 Girls Junior Tennis Title in 1949 and 1950. In September of 1950. Maureen Connolly turned 16 years old. Before her next birthday, she defeated French Open champion Shirley Fry to win the US Open at age 16. Remember the story about how Maureen Connolly said she wanted to be the best tennis player in the world when she was a 10 year old child? There she was, only six years later, already standing as the best player in the United States as a teenager.
1: An interesting story. At that time, when she won the U.S. Open, she was the youngest player ever to win the U.S. Open. And so after she won that historic win at the iconic West Side Tennis Club, which is where it was played at Forest Hills back in those days, the organizers wanted to make a trophy presentation courtside, but they couldn't find her within the clubhouse. So all of a sudden, they scoured the courts at the tennis club and on the most private secluded court... There was mom with her coach practicing her overheads because mom felt that her overheads that day, even though she just won the U.S. Open, was not up to her championship and excellent standard. So there she was practicing overheads while the organizers were wanting to give her the U.S. Open trophy.
0: Brinker Simmons says her mother's constant drive to improve stayed with her throughout her career cindy remembers a conversation she once had with Connolly about why she took tennis lessons even when she was ranked number one in the world
1: i said mommy when you were number one in the world did you stop taking tennis lessons and i'll never forget this lesson and it had stayed with me literally throughout the decades years after she told me she said honey the day i would have stopped taking tennis lessons would have been the day i would have stopped being number one in the world and what she was saying is that she consistently desired to improve, to develop, and to hone her skills razor sharp. You never stop learning. That's an act of humility, because you realize that you always can learn more, you can always be better, and that you never just stop because you think you've got it all together.
0: Maureen Connolly was just 17 years old when she played in her next Grand Slam major. Wimbledon. Connolly lost the first set of the quarterfinals to Australian Open winner Therma Coin Long, but then won every single set the rest of the way en route to defeating Louise Bruff for the nineteen fifty-two Wimbledon title. Connolly followed the Wimbledon crown up in grand style and won the nineteen fifty-two US Open. She was 17 years old and already had won three Grand Slam tournaments, two at the U.S. Open and one at Wimbledon. Little Moe's tennis arsenal combined tremendous power, incredible footwork, and a devastating accuracy.
1: Her strokes were incredibly accurate. As a matter of fact, a very well-known sports writer in England, Lauren Pignon, he said he watched Mom in one of her matches at Wimbledon. She hit the line, just the line itself, 20 times, just the line. That doesn't mean missing it by a nano inch, the line. You can't beat someone that's that accurate.
0: Maureen Connolly traveled to Australia in early 1953 to compete in the Australian Open. She kicked off the 1953 Grand Slam season without losing a set through the entire tournament. That set the tone from one of the most dominating seasons in tennis history. She set her sights on the French Open. A win would make her only the third player overall to win a career Grand Slam and the first woman in history to do so. And remember, she was just 18 years old at the time. Connolly shook off losing one set in the quarterfinals and stood untouchable the rest of the way. She topped fellow American Doris Hart in the final, a woman Connolly looked up to growing up. Connolly actually prevented Hart from winning a career Grand Slam by topping her in the previous year's US Open finals. So at age 18, a mere eight years after her bold answer to Mary Hardwick Hare, Maureen Connolly defined herself already as the best in the world by winning all four Grand Slam tournaments in a row not to mention two straight U.S. Opens. This was during a time when women's tennis featured a number of legends all competing at once.
1: In the early 50s, it was some of the most competitive years in women's tennis. There were five of them that were really, really good. Of course, Mom, and then a woman named Louise Brough, a woman named Shirley Fry, a woman named Doris Hart, and a woman named Margaret Osborne DuPont. And there were others too, but those five were really tough. All of them were older than mom. Nobody knew who was going to win, but mom won every time.
0: A repeat win at Wimbledon was the next circle on Maureen Connolly's championship calendar. When you talk to people who have won consecutive championships in any sport, you'll often hear that the second time is harder than the first and the third time is harder than the second because everybody is targeting you and you get everyone's best game every time the same tennis players that inspired little mo as a youngster now aim to stop her these were women who had previously won championships and knew how to win matches at the highest level with the biggest stakes just like in the 1953 french open The Wimbledon final came down to Hart and Connolly. The two Americans held court on the 4th of July in 1953 on the legendary English setting. The next day, the New York Times reported that the Connolly-Hart final, quote, assuredly must rank as one of the greatest matches in the history of women's tennis. The story stated that Doris Hart drew from every technique she knew that made her a champion But Connolly countered with tenacious resolve and focus to outlast Hart in a grueling battle by scores of 8-6 and 7-5. The New York Times later spoke to Doris Hart about that match in 2013. She said that she played so well that it almost felt like she had won because deep down she knew she played her absolute best that day. She added that little Mo radiated confidence on the court, and no matter what the score was, you always felt like Connolly was winning. Cindy Brinker Simmons talks about Connolly's fierceness and ability to overcome adversity in tough situations.
1: When she went on that court, she was fierce. She was the predator pursuing her prey, and she was. Absolutely poker face. They called her Little Miss Poker Face because when she lost a point she wouldn't let that bother her. She would move to the next point. And she was absolutely relentless in her pursuit of victory.
0: When we return, we'll look at Maureen Connolly's quest for a calendar slam and shine a light on her legacy off the tennis court on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Hampton Inn Waco.
1: Hi, this is Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, and I listen to the Texas Hall of Fame podcast. And if you're not listening to it, you're missing out.
0: If you've enjoyed listening today please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. The museum tells the story of the greatest athletes and coaches in Texas history by using objects from its collection, which numbers over 15,000. And when you come to Waco, be sure and stay at the Hampton Inn Waco, located just eight minutes from the museum on I-35. The Hampton Inn has recently been renovated and includes free hot breakfast free Wi-Fi, and an indoor-outdoor pool. And since the Hampton Inn Waco is an official hotel of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, you never know if you'll bump into a Texas Sports Hall of Fame inductee in the lobby. Welcome back to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Before the break, we went over Maureen Connolly's 1953 Wimbledon Championship. That second straight Wimbledon Championship put her in position for another historic win. A U.S. Open victory meant only the second calendar grand slam in tennis history. Again, we really can't overstate the fact that Maureen Connolly was 18 years old in 1953. Since her win at the U.S. Open at 16 years of age, she routinely disposed of competitors who previously won multiple championships, and most were on their way to winning several more titles in the future. All of them faced one major obstacle, a teenager from San Diego. The 1953 U.S. Open brought a newcomer to challenge Connolly in the quarterfinals, Althea Gibson, Again, to put things into perspective, the up and coming Gibson was actually a few years older than Connolly. Little Mo beat Gibson in the quarterfinals, Shirley Fry in the semifinals. And once again, she blocked Doris Hart from completing a career grand slam by winning the finals match that wasn't nearly as close as Wimbledon. The win was Connolly's third straight U.S. Open title. The road to winning that title included Althea Gibson, who later won five Grand Slam singles titles, Shirley Fry, who later completed a career Grand Slam, and Doris Hart, who also wound up with a career Grand Slam and a total of six Grand Slam singles titles. Of course, there was something even more historic to Connolly's third straight US Open championship in 1953. She won a calendar Grand Slam by winning all four Grand Slam tournaments in a single year. She is one of only five tennis players in history to accomplish the feat, and one of only three women. To shed some light on how amazing that is, try to guess who the other two women are. Martina Navratilova? Nope. Billie Jean King? No. Must be one of the Williams sisters, right? Wrong. Margaret Court and Steffi Graf are the only two other women to win a calendar Grand Slam. It hasn't been done on the men's side since the 1960s, so you can cross everyone from Bjorn Borg to Roger Federer off your list of guesses. That means that players with more than 10, 15, or even 20 Grand Slam tournament championships haven't been able to do what 18-year-old Maureen Connolly accomplished. Brinker Simmons sheds light on why it's such a difficult accomplishment.
1: To your point, Martina won four of the majors in a row, but not in the same calendar year. The Australian champion, both for men's and women's, would be the only candidate to win the Calendar Grand Slam that year. And what made it so difficult to win, your game had to be good, not just on grass, but on clay, on hard court. So you had to be able to play on all surfaces and win. So your game had to be adaptable. And just the pressure of getting to that point. You know, Serena was so close a couple years ago. She was in the finals of the U.S. Open, having won the Australian French in Wimbledon. But just the pressure of that finals that she played, and she did not win in the finals of the U.S. Open. And she talked about the
0: pressure. Connolly didn't play in the 1954 Australian Open. In fact, no Americans competed that year. Traveling to Australia required a long journey by boat at the time. Moreover, the trip was often cost prohibitive in a time when Grand Slam victories didn't involve a large purse. Connolly did, however, play in the 1954 French Open. She further distanced herself from her competition in her tournament victory her second straight French Open championship and eighth Grand Slam tournament win. She never lost a set during that year's French Open and had only one set that ended 6-4 and one set that ended 6-3. Most of her sets were either 6-love or 6-1. At this point, it didn't just seem like Connolly was unbeatable. She was untouchable. That year's Wimbledon tournament was much the same. Maureen Connolly destroyed her opposition. She won every single set she played and route to her third straight Wimbledon title. It wasn't until her very last set in the final that anyone got closer than a 6-3 final in a set. Little Mo stood as a true giant, a teenager who proved herself as unquestionably the world's greatest tennis player. Her daughter says she didn't let success go to her head, however.
1: Said it's even harder to be a gracious winner than it is to be a gracious loser. For her, it was very important to remain humble. And there's so many characteristics I admire about my mom. One of them is her humility. She was just so quietly humble it took your breath away.
0: She notes Connolly's rare combination of character, talent, and a commitment to excellence mixed with intangibles that made her the great champion that she was.
1: She possessed that indefinable something. That indefinable something. In other words, it was a compilation of multiple attributes. It wasn't just one. It was just having it all come together. Mom believed that if you were going to be the best, you had to practice diligently and not cut corners. And she was dedicated. To practice, practice, practice. And plus she had all of those other fine attributes. It's hard to beat someone that has all of that packed in one five four powerful little package called Little Mo.
0: Maria Connolly won three straight Wimbledon titles by the time she was nineteen years old, only nine years after her declaration that she wanted to grow up to be the best tennis player in the world. She also loved horseback riding. Shortly after winning Wimbledon, she and a friend went riding along a private road. A cement truck driver turned down the restricted road. The driver lost control when he slammed on the brakes, and the truck's chute unfastened. Connolly's leg was caught in the fray, and the accident tore all the tendons and ligaments. When mom went
1: in, to have surgery on the leg. The doctor said, we hope we can save your leg because she had lost so much blood. Fortunately, her leg was saved, but she was never able to compete competitively on that high elite platform. Her footwork and her ability to push off with her feet and run really was a hallmark to her success. So that totally compromised that major ability of hers. and. Part of her gift in this as an athlete was she was very nimble afoot. Her footwork was remarkable, but because of that injury, she just could not get back and regain that status of that nimble footwork. She told me and it was been written about that she would pick up marbles with her toes, thousands and thousands of marbles hours a day to try and get that strength back, but it never did heal.
0: The tragic accident ended Connolly's historic career in 1954 at age 19. In 1955, she married Norman Brinker, a man who represented the United States in the 1952 Olympics in the equestrian competition. She shifted her devotion from tennis to being a wife and mother. The family settled in Dallas. Cindy Brinker-Simmons, says that her mother didn't pressure her and her sister to pursue tennis. In fact, it wasn't until she was older that she realized her mother's stature in the game.
1: Mom never told Brenda and I that she was famous. And I thought that the three Wimbledon trophies were just table decorations on one of our tables in our house.
0: She adds that her mother held herself to a high standard both on and off the tennis court.
1: I mean, she really did match the skill of living. And what my dad and my sister and I love to say about her is that mom was a remarkable woman who just happened to be a very good tennis player because she was a woman who was such a great role model first. She was a champion, not just on the court, but off the court. And that is really what a champion is. If you're just a great tennis player... Well, that's good because that will be in the history books. But are you a great person? Do you give back? Do you invest in other people's lives? Is your life a great testimony to faithfulness, to goodness, to integrity, to fair play, to sportsmanship, to being other focused?
0: Maria Connolly Brinker's combination of being others focused and her love of tennis inspired her to co-found the Maureen Connolly Brinker Tennis Foundation.
1: She felt called to give back to the sport of tennis that had just given her so much. So in 1968, she co-founded with her dear friend Nancy Jeff at the Maureen Connolly Brinker Tennis Foundation because she wanted to do something for the sport of tennis that had done so much for her.
0: Cindy Brinker Simmons, president of the foundation, tells us about the foundation's history.
1: Originally, it was to help promising young tennis players with travel grants and other expenses for their competitions because mom had been given travel grants to go to these tournaments from the San Diego tennis patrons.
0: Ken McAllister, former executive director of the USTA's Texas section, states that the Maureen Connolly Brinker Tennis Foundation filled a void before many states offered girls' high school tennis programs.
2: She knew that it was a bit of a struggle. The girls, in a lot of times, they didn't have high school programs. Now, Texas, luckily, we have always had high school programs here for girls back into the 1920s. But most states didn't have that. I know New Mexico didn't until the 1980s.
0: A large part of the foundation's current work involves hosting junior tennis tournaments.
1: Today, 51 years later, the Morning Conley Breaker Tennis Foundation awards travel grants to talented young players. We also host a national and three international junior tennis tournaments. We focus on serving a very small sliver of the junior tennis population, the elite gifted and talented players ages 8 to 12. So we have 8s play 8s, 9s play 9s, 10s play 10s, because even very gifted 10-year-olds, there are no 10-under tournaments for 10-year-olds and certainly no 9-under tournaments. So even a gifted 10-year-old can't beat a very good 12-year-old. So we have a year-long circuit that we start with with sectionals. We have 18 sectional areas in the United States, and those who advance then play in one of our regionals, our four regional tournaments, and we have a final national tournament in October, And then we have three international tournaments, one in California, one in Florida, and one in New York, where youngsters from all over the world come and compete. And what's so special about this is not only do we have a great competitive environment for these young tennis players ages 8 to 12, but we also focus on character values. We focus on the importance of sportsmanship fair play, integrity, and strong character values. And we give away kindness awards and sportsmanship awards to a deserving boy and girl at both our national tournament, our three international tournaments, because mom would not have wanted just to churn out great tennis players. But we remind and we speak to the kids at the tournaments that they're going to be young men and women a lot longer than they're going to be tennis players. And their character is what will carry them into, again, as we said, mastering the skill of living.
0: What's a little Mo tournament like? The tournaments are special. They provide young tennis players with a competitive experience combined with a cultural and friendship building experience.
1: In our international tournament, the first round, the kids exchange gifts under $10. So if a young child from Australia is playing a young child from the United States, then maybe the Australian would bring a little stuffed polar bear. And the person from the United States would bring football to just share their culture and their fun with each other. Then they'd go and compete. And many times, those kids will then play doubles with each other. And because now in the world of high technology, our kids are keeping up with each other.
2: The biggest thing I did was an annual event. I think it was annual, maybe every two-year event. A Great Britain Girls Against the United States Girls it was a terrific event because everybody made friends. The girls from Great Britain got to learn about Texas. I was honored to be asked to speak at
0: the top of the program, I mentioned that finalists on both sides of the 2020 Australian Open won Little mo tournaments as junior tennis players. To give you an idea of how important the foundation is to future pro players, I asked Ken McAllister how he thought the tournaments may have helped Andy Roddick, a player Ken watched since Roddick was 8 years old.
2: When you're playing kids from all over the United States or even all over the world, it affects the kid. You know, you win a match and you think, wow, I'm on the world stage. So I think, well, I belong here. Well, Andy obviously belonged there. He's, the, he's number one in the world at one stage. So that's what it gave him. And there's several other top 50 players that came through the Marine Family Breaker tournaments and all. And they got that confidence off of that.
0: McAllister adds that the foundation also benefits high school coaches by teaching fundamentals to junior players before they reach high school.
2: You got kids in high school that already had some experience by the time they came into your program.
0: Sadly, Marine Connolly Brinker didn't live to witness the tremendous impact her foundation would have. Cancer took her life in 1969. She was only 34 years old.
1: Cancer was the only opponent she could not defeat. So when she passed away, Dad called the family meeting of Brenda and myself, and we had to decide what were we going to put on her tombstone. How do you summarize a woman that's so globally respected, so deeply loved, so greatly admired? And what we decided to put on her tombstone was these following words, Maureen Conley Brinker. 1934-1969, a gallant lady, wife, mother, champion. Because that's really how she saw herself. She saw herself so joyful about being Mrs. Norman Brinker and about being a mom. And a distant third was her great and historic career. Mom passed away in 1969. So the foundation was only a year old when mom passed away. So Nancy Jeffett took the promise and the vision of what she and mom had discussed and had created. And for 40 years, Nancy ran the foundation and created a great, great model.
0: Cindy, her sister Brenda, and Nancy Jeffett's daughter, Sissy, stayed greatly involved with the foundation. Maureen Connolly Brinker's legacy, both on the tennis court and through the foundation, still grows. In 2019, the United States Post Office honored her and issued the Little Mo Forever stamp.
1: It was such a surprise to us because we had not solicited at all to have mom on the stamp. And literally, out of the blue, we got a call from the United States Postal Service that said that they were wanting to do a stamp honoring pioneers in women's sports. And tennis is one of the sports they selected. So we are so grateful that the USPS selected mom as representative of the sport because the stamp so characterizes mom's athleticism, her grace, her beauty, her focus. On the stamp, and we went through multiple, multiple pictures, actually over 100 pictures, to choose the right picture of her. And so we're really, really pleased with the stamp because it so characterizes her.
0: Maureen Connolly Brinker not only set a high bar for the game of tennis, she still stands as a role model and inspiration to others. Her career and life were both tragically too short, but as her daughter Cindy points out, Her life made a tremendous statement and left a lasting impact.
1: I just, again, want to say that for my family, that what so touched us about mom is her humility, her hard work, not ever cutting corners. She just realized that to be excellent at something, to be relentlessly committed to excellence, you cannot cut corners. There are no shortcuts. It takes hard work, determination, discipline. But yet, in the same breath, her desire to give back and invest in the lives of others was so important to her. She was so other-focused and not self-focused. I always love to say that she really mastered the skill of living in just a little over three decades because her life was cut short at 34. She taught us all how to live passionately, joyfully, give it all you got, But then just remember what's important, it's relationships. And mom was a very relational person. She was a wonderful mother, a fabulous role model. She adored my dad, and she was just so respected because she always had that sparkle and that love of life and always focusing on other people.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton Inn Waco. We invite you to come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco and the Texas Tennis Museum and Hall of Fame is also located in the same complex. When you visit, be sure to book your stay at the Hampton Inn Waco. Special thank you to Cindy Breaker-Simmons and Ken McAllister for their interviews. Both have books that they have written. Cindy's book is called Little Mo's Legacy, A Mother's Lessons, A Daughter's Story, and Ken's book is called Cattle to Courts, A History of Tennis in Texas.